This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit nicuconnections.com backslash NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We've got a big group here um, to discuss uh, the the kind of straight off, hot off the press workshop, um, improving transparency and developing sustainable neonatologist staffing models. Now, this is a very hot topic, obviously, in the community. So you guys are coming from all over the country. I'll let you introduce yourselves and tell us where you're coming from. And then we'd really just want to hear about the lessons learned. Uh, Carrie Maku, Larry, Larry Children's, Chicago. I'm Chris Bishop. I'm at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Milenka Cuevas-Guman. I'm from Houston, Texas Children's. And Steve Olson from Children's Mercy, Kansas City. Okay. Well, you know, this has been a buzz, really, I'd say, I mean, in the last five years, but certainly, I think, through the pandemic, I think people are really trying to reevaluate what does work-life balance look for them and what does work-life balance look for, like, for um, a group or a practice or a unit. Um, so every day I feel like, every week I feel like somebody's asking the question on social media or um, through, you know, interactive platforms. So what, what did you guys tackle in the workshop today? Well, we tried to do several things. I think when we think about staffing and the issues that are really with current state, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it is around transparency. Yeah. So that was the first thing that we really tried to address. Um, there are a few published models out there. Um, however, there's a lot of variability. That's the other big threat to this. And so uh, Steve and I both walked through our center's examples of how we kind of um, plan and strategize to handle staffing um, and when we talk about clinical FTEs or full-time equivalents. Uh, so that was kind of the first part of the workshop. Everybody had an exercise to be able to calculate their own FTE using the Lurie and Mercy models as examples. So can you tell us a little bit about what that variability looks like? You know, what, you were saying the current state. Um, so what is the situation people are finding themselves in? I think with variability, there's a lot of yeah. different types of variability, too. So I think center to center, people are thinking about this in a lot of different ways, some of them more officially, some of them less officially. Mm -hmm. 
I think different centers um, calculate clinical time in different ways. Some people use an hours model. Some people use a weeks per year model. Some people do count call into their clinical time. Mm -hmm. Some people don't. Some people adjust for different factors. Um, So there's a lot of, of that that happens, and it really hampers us as a field across the country because we can't advocate collectively for some of the changes that we're hoping to. There's also variability in how things are done between neonatology and other other aligned fields. So critical care, um, cardiac intensivist, emergency medicine, even how those fields work through staffing and what they project as their hours or clinical needs um, are actually often quite variable from how neonatology is expected to work. And so some of that is that, say, an FTE in emergency medicine maybe significantly less hours than an FTE. 28 to 32 hours per week. Clinical hours is the standard for emergency medicine. For full FTE. Correct. Okay. And what about our colleagues in the PICU? (laughs) Well, it goes back to that it's very variable. And and some PICUs belong to departments of pediatrics, some belong to other departments. Um, But overall, it seems like it, it is less. And it's um, with, with different offsets and call models and, and things that are that seem to be a little bit more um, amenable to sustainability and, and work-life balance. There was an AMSPDEC paper that came out um, earlier this year. I, I think Klein was the lead author in Journal, um, Journal Pediatrics that did look at the median hours. And so for a uh, 0.8 clinical FTE, which is typically standard, for neonatology, it was over 1,600, and I believe for those other fields, it was typically less than, it was like in the 12 to 1,400 hour per year range. And I'm recalling that there's a often a big difference between the pediatric uh, work hours and our uh, adult colleagues. Why do you guys think that is? Uh, money. It's multifactorial, yeah. clearly, but it's a lot of it has to do with reimbursement, how reimbursement is set up, and, and how um, how work is valued and paid for. Yeah. I mean, we still, you know, pediatrics still seen as small because they're kids, yeah. and that even goes farther to neonatology, you know, your babies, like yeah. even... At some point, uh, I remember hearing this when they were building a new NICU. Like, why do you need a big bed? That's right. right? Why do you need this big Mm. room? I mean, and then you are forgetting that it's just not the baby, right? And the size that it matters for the room and what that room needs to have. But that's what people think outside. You know, I think about two different challenges with neonatology. One is historically, we used to work hundreds of hours a week. You know, when it comes down to it, and uh, because the neonatologist was not in-house for call, they'd round, go back to their offices, do all their research in the afternoon, and so the RVU benchmarks and all of those hour benchmarks got way out of proportion to what mm-hmm. we're doing now. The other challenge is, does one hour equal one hour? Mm. Does one hour in a level four equal one hour in a level three or level two if you're on... You know, home call versus in-house call. It's all an hour, but are they equal? And, of course, and you guys are tackling this also when you did your uh, uh, FTE calculations with the group that our our non-clinical duties seem to be growing, right? Mm -hmm. We're doing just as much or more in the unit, but we're having a lot of other non-clinical duties. 
Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? What are those non-clinical duties that people should be thinking, gosh, this should be part of my FTE? Yeah, you know, the the workshop that we just did with the attendees to this meeting, um, that was the second part of it. We really wanted to get feedback from them. Um, we did some surveying that all we'll be able to uh, use for data for, for future decision-making and publications. Um, and so those were the questions that we were asking. You know, what are the things that, and we asked our attendees to tackle that in, you know, like 10, 15 minutes, which is really... <laughs> like, here's the <laughs> solve the problems of neonatology in 15 That's minutes. Right. Yeah, That's and you right. know what, they rose to the occasion, right? They were... Really thoughtful, and we had a great um, groups and mixes of people. And it, and it, what it, what it really comes down to is people. Now there's new promotion pathways, mm-hmm. right? And people are doing all these different things, and we're still only giving offsets for very traditional things. And so when the group, you know, that tackled that question, brought up a lot of the things that are actually part of promotable pathways, like yeah. QI or leadership things and things like that. And so, um, you know, coming to a consensus on that and talking about what might need to be reimbursed or what we think should have offsets um, is one piece of it. Um, and, and there are things that I think that many of us think would be very reasonable, like being a, a unit director, program director, they, theirs is already, um, fellowship program director, theirs is already determined. But some of these other things, but then making the leap to how do we make that happen is, is um, you know, really going to be the important next step. But that also comes back to the variability. So, for instance, the role of a CHNC, since we're here, of a mm-hmm. site leader, mm-hmm. that's a role within the organization that every center then has, and some centers give protected time for that and others don't. And in the end, it impacts ability to, to be productive academically, ability to focus clinically when you are working and having to straddle those things, and ultimately really your joy and satisfaction with your career. Um, and, and those types of things, if they're not adequately addressed, really will get to sustainability issues for our field. Did you guys talk about how some of these things, like say being a site leader for the C-Agency, um, brings value to the unit and the hospital and, and how we should be advocating for protected time? Go ahead. I, I think we all don't have to be convinced that it brings value. Sure. <laughs> um, the question is, who else do we have That's to right. convince that it brings value? And how do we fund it? Because, again, like Chris mentioned, it all comes back to money. And one thing we weren't able to really get to because – the workshop really was a lot of fun. There was a lot of interest, um, a lot of value in people that really took away from it. But one thing we hinted at in the closing was how do all of these workforce characteristics and metrics actually matter to clinical outcomes? Yeah. And if we could better demonstrate that link, that's where we might be able to really prove the value. Like if we have, say, better continuity of care, does that actually lead to shorter lengths of stay and translate into something that's more fundable? punchline is actually so far no data has shown that <laughs> just to say because I did do a study on that but um, there these are all the things that I think really could have potential impact if the workforce is healthier hopefully our, it turns into our babies also being healthier and our science being healthier and more robust was anybody surprised by their uh, FTE calculation I think yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think there it were also was yeah. it's it's complex and it was hard for both Steve and I in the limited time that we had to really walk people through. There were a lot of questions, a lot of head scratching, a lot of why do you do it this way, and um, it, it's confusing. But I think also yes, surprising. But, but I think what it came up from that, or at least what I think they took, is that 
it has to be done, right? Like, I mean, are you going to put more value to in your unit, value mm-hmm. to level four or value to level two, or why Why you do those difference? And then at the end, then it'll be more equitable mm. everybody, right? One so, of the common, I'm sorry, one of the common themes was how do we define these things? Mm-hmm. And, and it may be that we define certain big picture ideas for everyone and that at, the, at an institutional level or a more local level, it needs to be defined more specifically for that place. And then we talked about it's important to have flexibility, you know, at the um, important to say, well, we've done this this way for the past 10 years. And even though we've added four new hospitals and, you know, an entire group of APPs and we don't have any more residents or something like that, you have to have that, that flexibility also. But the, getting those big picture concepts, some sort of agreement on that is, is I think, really where we're going to be able to, to affect change. And so for units who are struggling this, with this, which many of us are, you're really advocating for it. Doesn't, it doesn't matter necessarily how you weight certain things, but that um, everybody's doing it the same way and gets the same credit for for doing different uh, things in the unit. Is that right? Yes. I mean, you as a, as a division, you'll know what is has more value or, you know, or costs more, more points, whatever you want to call it, or more hours to dedicated units or dedicated roles. Uh, because we, we don't know, right? Like maybe you are also like a frontline provider. You don't have a business you are going to be able to see less, mm-hmm. right? And or, and other units are going to be able to see more. Let's get a look. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> so I think everybody has to, like, figure out in their world what it means. Uh, but but we still should ta- have a target. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to go 365 days. Right. The first step is really just making sure that you're counting. The second step will be reducing the variability in how we count. But I think if we just make sure that people are thinking through their systems and they are at least accrediting these things or counting these different roles, that's that's the first step for a system that might be struggling. I think the only thing I was going to add is none of us are independent, solitary neonatologists. We're all part of a group. And if we can improve the overall health and well-being of our group, we're all going to be better. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so I've had the opportunity to talk with some of you on this topic before, so I know the answer. But for the listeners, do you think that there is a role for standardizing staffing models on a national level? I do. I mean, I think that's what I was kind of trying to hint at. And so... Again, there are a lot of groups working on this. So the three of us are working with a team, Christiana Dahman and Emily Miller. We have a grant through the AEP with many advisors, one of whom is Steve, um, that help us. And we're putting together a summit to try to um, decrease some of this variability and advocate for some of that um, national um, collaboration and standardization that you're seeing, as well as the SWAN group, of which Steve and I are a member. Um, that's a group of division directors primarily. Uh, I'm not a division director, but um, that is also trying to, to solve this issue. And I see you have a very interesting survey here for the group. Um, <laughs> do you want to try to answer? What is Daphne? I'm not going to answer. answer. But um, were there any interesting discussions on any particular, I'm sure there was, but any uh, questions that stood out that were really a point of discussion? Uh, I, we're all flipping. So. <laughs> this was... Um, this was a great idea um, that Chris and Malenka had, so they should speak about it. But it was part of our grant, and we did part of that grant funds some data collection 
Um, we did. We're doing so, interviews in qualitative analysis. Yeah, so I, I was, I'll go with the one that I remember the most. It was question number five, which was, "What is the maximum number of consecutive in-hospital hours an mm. neonatologist should do in level three, level four? I was surprised to find that a lot of people are still okay with twenty-five to thirty hours yeah. consecutively. Yeah, right. Especially given the data on you know, uh, increased mistakes with prolonged uh, calls, especially those overnight calls, uh, more car accidents, uh, worse uh, health outcomes for physicians who do those prolonged calls. Yes, and also because we we asked them to think about the ideal. So I I really don't, what you're doing right now. It's what they would pick. They were picking it. Okay. There still continues to be that ideal. Which, which... Feeds into another question, which I think is interesting. Should a neonatologist take in-house night call while on service and then round post-call? Mm-hmm. And people asked for clarification of the question. Does that mean like round and leave? Does that mm-hmm. mean round and then stay there? Because if you're on service, you may PM? stay all day. Right. Like how, how, and, and we just said, please just like look at the, just whatever the question reads, whatever that means to you. And there was a, there were a good portion of people that said it depends um, and that probably speaks to a lot of things. It probably speaks to knowing that if you if you don't round post call when you're on service, then people thinking all of my on my all my in house call will then be when I'm not on service, which mm. will then you know completely interrupt potentially the right. times that I'm working on my academic things or the other things. And so um, we have a system that it already lends itself to certain things. We had mo- primarily mid-career folks. Mm-hmm. We had a, a, it was almost like a bell curve mm-hmm. of, you know, early career to mid-career and, and, and late career. And so, you know, you have people who have been practicing um, and in the system for a while. And, and I think a really interesting question to think about is um, sort of at the other ends of the bell curve, the folks that are, are saying, I just don't even want to take call anymore because health-wise, you know, for health reasons, or the new grads who are coming in and saying, I have never worked 36 hours yeah. straight before. I have never right. had to I don't want to start call. doing that now. Right? Yeah. And like, why am I going to get a job where I have to do that? Yeah. So I think those are really interesting um, things that we have to consider. And she had put in a free text word cloud question uh, towards the end of what's the greatest challenge to staffing in neonatology. And uh, a big one was generational tension, which I that was really insightful Tell and certainly. Us more. I think. Well, it was, this is part of the live polls. It was just kind of a um, quick. There weren't discussion points around that because this is the data that, again, under IRB protection, we're collecting um, towards publication. But the concept there, I think, is that there are different generational beliefs about work-life balance or personal professional life balance, um, and there's also different generational needs, right? So not only does maybe the older neonatologist not want to work overnight anymore, but also a young mother who's nursing um, doesn't want to do that either. And so there's just different needs um, for for different folks. And I think it also comes to back in that regard back to flexibility, because if we say everybody has to work seven weeks and everybody has to do three 24-hour calls, you know, whatever that means, then there's no flexibility in the system. Then how are you going to have part-time people, yeah. right, or accommodate for health reasons? Or, so we need to be thinking outside the box, and we need to be also going with what neonatology is going. You know, it's getting more complex. More things are falling on the attending, mm. Right, uh, for many reasons. I mean, we can talk about the reasons, but it's 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 how to create sustainability from now on. If we don't deal with that now, we don't know what our career is. 
That's right. And it's really not for us. We, we might have 20 more years, but... For the incoming yep. generations. Yeah. And the babies. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the babies. Yeah. And the right. units and the families. And, yeah. um, you know, making sure that we're taking care of, of, of our patients. Any, um, I have two questions. My second to last question is, are there any resources for people who are interested in learning more about staffing models as it stands? Yes. Um, so there are quite a growing number of publications on this topic. Um, our group has written on this. The Swan Group um, is working on a manuscript for that now. Uh, so if you put it in, I mean, through PubMed, we, I think when we did the podcast with you earlier, we did um, put some of those resources collected yeah, so they would be referenced um, on that. Page. There's been That's a right. few more that have come out this summer um, that are, are also good to add to that. Um, and that's pretty much where things live um, at, the, at the current state. And when can we expect the date of the, the collection you're doing now? Well, <laughs> so we are analyzing right now and hopefully we'll get the publication now by January, February. That's kind of our goal. Okay. And sooner, maybe sooner. Uh, but then I think the other big step is uh, the summit. And mm-hmm. so the summit will be in uh, June. And uh, hopefully from that, we can give you better tools. Uh, obviously, it's still advocacy tools. Right? We're not going to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully we can give you better tools so you can talk to your higher-ups, whatever that means in your place. Any closing thoughts? I think people just need to keep thinking about this and talking about it and talking about it at their own institution and supporting transparency about these things, helping our incoming um, recent grad you know, junior colleagues understand these concepts so that they can ask the right questions and, and, and figure out you know, what they want and, and as they're looking for jobs so that they can sort of speak this language and go in with their eyes wide open. So I think it, you know, to all the, the listeners out there, like just educating yourself about it and starting the conversation at your own institution is a great place to start. And I think for us, uh, since this goes not just probably to neonatologists, is how do we recruit the next generation? And, and so talking about this out loud and, and you know, in simple terms, and it, it might get us actually recruitment of more people and more ideas. And, and that's what we need to keep doing. Well, Carrie, Steve, Malenka, and Christine, thank you so much for your advocacy. Um, and we're really looking forward to seeing the publication. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nicupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the-incubator.org. You can also message the show on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter, at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you. <laughs>